0: What is up everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. Hope you were doing well on this Monday. And as you all know, Monday is my Bitcoin Fundamentals Report day. Today was issue 250, my first one back in three weeks time. So we're gonna go through that. It, It consists of Bitcoin headlines, macro headlines, Bitcoin price, Bitcoin mining sector updates or industry updates, lightning, layer two, all of this stuff. It's a little bit of an abbreviated or higher level report this this week because I was trying to summarize three weeks' worth of data to get me caught up on the current events that are going on in Bitcoin. But we're going to cover all that, talk through it. I will have the comments up. So if you're watching on YouTube or Rumble, go ahead and make comments there. For telegram guys, you can put it in the if you don't want to come on the mic, At the end, I'll see if you guys want to come on the mic. But if you don't want to do that, you can put your comments in the post for this live stream. And I will bring that up so I can see if you guys have any comments in there. Guys, thank you for joining me. Uh, I am live streaming on YouTube, Rumble, Telegram, Twitter, and Twitch. So you can find me in any of those places. My home base is Bitcoinandmarkets.com. Let me bring that up. Bitcoinandmarkets.com where you can find all the content, keep up on everything that I am producing out there, podcasts, uh, blog posts, weekly newsletter, everything is there, including the premium content. I put out the Market Pro number 22 for the professional tier on the website. You guys can go there and get all of my technical forecasting, um, cycle forecasting, everything more on that side of the house for price is in the market pro newsletter It's jam packed full of a dozen or two dozen charts. Sometimes I find a lot of things that then people, I see people reposting um, and we'll go over that as well here today, because I've mentioned it in the fundamentals report, but well, let's dive into the fundamentals report. And actually before I do that, let's take a quick look at price weekly chart here kind of consolidating in this triangle. I hope it's like this triangle. I mean this red resistance I've talked about for how long? I mean all year basically. And we are still in this zone if we can bounce off of this line, the bottom trend line and come back up towards the top of this triangle. I think everyone's going to be talking about this and it has a like a high likelihood of breaking out. Of course, a lot of those type of things are found on the Market Pro newsletter so check that out. But okay, so that's the Bitcoin price to get started. Let's get into the fundamentals report. Each week I start with a meme. And if you guys have saw this clip going around, what's her name? Margot Robbie. She was asked about uh, what is being like a Ken. And she said that she imagined it was people talking about Bitcoin or something. So I thought this was a very good cultural meme saying that we've infiltrated the culture to the point where I think this is the, be- the biggest movie in the country, in the U.S. right now, maybe the world. And, it is- and she's talking about Bitcoin. So I-, I think it's very important just to step back and see how far we have penetrated. And she didn't say crypto. She said Bitcoin. I think that's very important. All right, let's keep going down here. Of course, I start with my snapshot of Bitcoin. And let me just check my levels on all my streaming stuff. Make sure I'm not muted. And then I'm going out everywhere. Okay. We're good. Let's get back into this. So snapshot of Bitcoin. I have added a new line here. And this is days until having. 284 days until having. I believe it's around... March 10th or March 8th. No, sorry, May 10th or May 8th somewhere in that zone, um right now estimated. And so I added this to the kind of snapshot up here, this table that's kind of easy to see for people to look at it and get a quick understanding of what's going on in Bitcoin. So right now the weekly trend is a slow bleed. It has been th- this is I had 2 weeks off from the fundamentals report. And really, price hasn't changed all that much. Uh, you can see here in the price section, uh, we, since that three weeks ago report, it's gone down 1000 bucks, 3%. I mean, for some, some investments, that's a lot. But for Bitcoin, that's nothing really to pay attention to. Basically, the price has been sideways for that time. Um, okay, media sentiment. I still have it as positive because we have seen some positive reports on Bitcoin mining recently um, and the halving, uh, good, solid, I would say, like uh, educational posts in the mainstream financial press about the Bitcoin having. So it's generally positive. I haven't seen any real negative um, stuff out of the media in the last few weeks. And this can get very positive. Okay. When we get a approval of an ETF, whether that is in a month or two, you know, August, or whether that is in two years, whatever, whenever the ETF gets approved, it's going to have this, this thing right here is going to be very, very positive. I've, you know, I've, I've used things like extremely negative before. And so maybe I'll have to use extremely positive when, Big things like that happen, but this will get very positive uh, during the Bitcoin bull market. Okay, network traffic is low. We're going to take a look at the mempool and all of that stuff and fees. Bitcoin, uh, the mining industry is very stable. Um, Like I said, we're going to take a look at hash rate and all the mining industry news here in a second. Market cap still over half a trillion. Satoshis per dollar, 3427 one finny, or that's one ten thousandth of a Bitcoin right in the smack dab of the middle of the decimal places is $2.91. Mining sector. So the last difficulty, which I think it was Wednesday of last week, did decrease the difficulty uh, 3%. This was the second decrease out of three, I believe. The last three adjustments, uh, two of the last three adjustments have been negative. However, Hash rate still near all-time highs, and we're gonna take a look at that. Uh, let's see, next estimated adjustment is flat in eight days. We'll see if price can go back up towards 31,000. This should get positive, maybe one or 2%. We'll see. Mempool, about 110 megabytes. This also has been very uh, consistent, and we'll take a look at that chart down below. Fees for next block. 74 cents or 18 virtual cents per byte. Medium fee is 61 cents. So actually the fees for next block that would be like, you know, if you want to get confirmed in the next 10 minute block. 75 cents per transaction. It's still under a dollar. That is extremely cheap. Just think if you're sending like a 10 or 20, even a 100,000 dollar transaction and you only have to pay 75 cents. That's pretty incredible. And the medium fee is like in the next three to six blocks. I believe, I don't know exactly the, the um, designation for this or the details behind the medium fee. I just get this from mempool.space and it's at 61 cents lightning network. Now this blew me away. So I've been tracking this light, these two lightning network metrics for, I don't know, six months to a year and The capacity has fluctuated around being generally flat, but staying around 5,000 to maybe 3,400, something like that. Well, it took a gigantic dip, dipping 727 Bitcoins, 13%. So capacity on the Lightning Network in the last three weeks has dropped 13%. This is pretty incredible to me. You know, I have been generally not bearish. Okay. But I think lightning network, it's incredible technology. It's a great answer to the scaling problem. It's just not there yet. And I would like to see more discussions around side chains, side chains with, uh, lightning network would also be a great discussion to have, you know, like liquid lightning. That would be Incredible, but that isn't where we're at right now. People are still trying to push this, this lightning network stuff forward, but we're just not seeing the growth, even in when the bull market is apparently um, getting started. And a lot of people are coming onto the lightning network, supposedly, which will cover some of those stories towards the end. And so all of this positive stuff coming out of lightning network, but the capacity crashes by nearly a thousand bitcoins. That's a lot. Channels also sunk by over a thousand channels down to 68,000. This is not as nearly as precipitous precipitous a decline as the capacity, but um, you can see these are the numbers that I'm watching. Okay, next section is in case you missed it. So I have uh, since the last fundamentals report, I've had two market pros that have come out. Uh, bearish probabilities remain and then a change to the end of my quarter forecast. If you want to know the, the change of my forecast for the end of Q3, which I've been talking about for a long time, the end of Q3 forecast has changed. I'll probably talk about it in coming weeks, but if you want to get right now what my forecast has changed to, you're going to have to check out the Market Pro. Okay, Community Streams only did one podcast in, well, not since the last report, but uh, in the last uh, week. And then FedWatch, we've had two FedWatches that I put on here, and this is the big one, Blogs. So I did do two blog posts this weekend. I wrote this second one, the coming multipolar world. I wrote that yesterday, and it, I think it came together pretty well. It's an interesting synthesis of different views on how the multipolar world will be going forward. I do believe in a multipolar world, but not equal polls. Uh, there is going to be one major poll, and that's still going to be the United States, but there's going to be several other uh, kind of second-tier polls that are going to offset each other and cause certain things to happen in the world. And so anyway, check out that blog post. Right now it's still for any paid member on the website, but I will make it public. Just like I've made this one public, the crypto affinity fraud on Bitcoin, that has recently been made public. And maybe I'll do a podcast going through that post here tomorrow or sometime soon. Okay, let's go down to headlines. So coming back right at at issue 250, uh, I didn't want to do a mid-week report last week because it was 250 and I wanted to make it consistent on Mondays, maybe make a fuller, um, you know, put the whole day to it, which I do on, on these Mondays. I put the whole day just to the report here. And so that's what I wanted to do and make 250 a complete report. But anyway, so yeah, I did. I kept a lot of this at a high level so I could fit more stories in, but let's go. So RFK Jr. vows to back the dollar with Bitcoin if elected. And I did talk about this on live streams recently and on FedWatch as well, but I hadn't put it in a report yet. The big thing here in my opinion is the smashing of open of the Overton window. So just a few years ago, This topic, and even today, well, first off, today, this topic is not even really considered by people. I believe I'm one of the lone voices. I think Michael Saylor has said something about this, and he's obviously a gigantic voice, but I don't listen to a lot of his uh, interviews that he does. Anyway, uh, backing the dollar with Bitcoin is a super logical thing. Most Bitcoiners, I would say 75%, think that Bitcoin is going to beat the dollar, that it's going to destroy the dollar, that the dollar is failing, the dollar is going to go away. And they even use things like the global reserve currency chart, you know, where you see like every 80 years we go to a new global reserve currency. That's false anyway, which I have detailed out on previous blogs about world reserve currencies. But the dollar didn't have to go away. I mean, if, if the dollar is in an existential threat, it's going to back itself with something either gold or Bitcoin. And so this is a very logical step. And having RFK Jr. talk about this just brings this to the fore. Maybe it won't get a lot of play this cycle, but, you know, next presidential cycle, it will get even more play. And really, these people aren't saying no politician is running on banning Bitcoin right now just let that sink in yes trump has not been like super friendly to it and we have people in congress like elizabeth warren and what's that other guy's name good lord what's his name there's another sherman brad sherman he they're anti-crypto but they're not really anti-bitcoin and they're not running i mean i guess elizabeth warren has some sort of a uh, group that's trying to push up against crypto but not against bitcoin specifically and uh no presidential candidate is running on a anti-bitcoin platform they are all positive on bitcoin except trump is kind of middle of the road not quite friendly but that's not being that's not like some big pillar of him uh, of his campaign where it is the opposite direction so i think We just had to take a step back and realize Margot Robbie's talking about Bitcoin, not crypto. People are running on Bitcoin-friendly platforms for President of the United States, and nobody is running on a negative Bitcoin platform. I mean, that's huge. Okay, Ripple lawsuit development. We've covered this several times on the show here as well, but I haven't put it in a report. So again, I wanted to cover this. There was this uh, tweet that... Let's see, do I have it pulled up? Um, no, but actually, let me see if I can get, No, nope, that's the wrong one, X. We're opening up X and we're going to check this out. So Patrick Tan, thats I couldn't remember his name. Patrick Tan uh, a couple weeks ago had this summary of what's going on with Ripple and I don't think a lot of people have let this sink in here. But he says in this tweet thread, the devil is in the details. In a footnote, page 23, note 16, quote, the court does not address whether secondary market sales of XRP constitute offers and sales of investment contracts because that question is not properly before the court, end quote. So they weren't even there to see if Ripple was a security in secondary sales, just if it's a security on the initial sales. Uh, The next one that I thought was really good is here, uh, number eight out of 17. There are also issues with the decision not to see XRP's programmatic sales as an offer of securities because Mm -hmm. Justice Torres added on an additional requirement to the Howey test that had never been established, namely that buyers and sellers should know each other. So anyway, I wanted to give my readers an update and maybe, you know, something that they haven't heard, an angle that they haven't heard on the Ripple saga. But uh, I say it is hard to say exactly what the ruling means. As far as I can tell, it means Ripple is an investment contract and the judge was not able to consider if secondary sales were securities. So we'll have to wait and see how this develops. Okay, next story. SEC asked Coinbase to halt all crypto trading except Bitcoin in report. Now, if you guys have been listening to my content, (laughs) even just since the Coinbase stuff came out, I think one of my initial reactions, I'd have to go back and, and look, but it was one of my early reactions within the first few days of this whole thing was that the SEC probably went to Coinbase and said, look, you want to be compliant? stop selling all coins, stick to Bitcoin, drop your 17,000 trading pairs or whatever it was that's on your app, drop those and do Bitcoin only. But Coinbase couldn't live with that, right? They said, no, 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 that can't be the clarity. We need different clarity. That clarity is not good enough. We want different clarity. And so, they refused to believe the SEC, and that's what this report is saying. And even Brian Armstrong and the other, the legal guy from Coinbase, Pawal or something, I don't know, I can't remember exactly his last name. Um, he came out, and, or they came out, and they were saying, they didn't give us any clarity. We've been trying to get clarity, but they weren't giving us any clarity. Literally lying, gaslighting the public. Of course there was clarity. These things are unregistered securities. All of them. Only Bitcoin is a commodity. The SEC told them that. They didn't want to accept it. And now this report is saying exactly that. And let me bring up this article here. This is from Unchained. Let's see, unchainedcrypto.com. SEC asked Coinbase to halt all crypto trading except Bitcoin report. Now, Bitcoin is not crypto trading, so this headline is, is a little bit misleading. The SEC believes every crypto asset, you can take this part out, this says other than Bitcoin, because that's misleading. Bitcoin is not crypto. Crypto is not Bitcoin. So the SEC believes every crypto is a security, said Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong. The U.S. and Securities Exchange Commission asked Coinbase to delist over 200 cryptocurrencies. Again. Cryptocurrencies is a bad term. Bitcoin is not a currency. It's money. It's money. Okay. From its trading platform before filing a lawsuit against the crypto exchange. According to a recent report from the Financial Times, regulators at the agencies asked Coinbase to halt all trading in every cryptocurrency other than Bitcoin. Okay. Other than Bitcoin. Do you see how this affinity fraud works? They have to put these things next to Bitcoin. Because Bitcoin is legit. Bitcoin is different. But they have to form this false categorization. It's a category error to put crypto alongside Bitcoin. Just because they share some similar characteristics in my recent blog post about the affinity fraud. Um, I use an example from Riles, who talked about category error. And, and here, here's an example. So, in a, somebody was going to tour a university and they were shown the library, the dorms, the buildings, you know, like the colleges, the lawns, um, all this stuff, the labs and then at the end the tour guide says are there any questions and the person said yes when are we going to see the university because it's a category error they they thought that a university is the same category as the library but it's not and not everything with a library is a university just sharing a couple components doesn't make a thing the same as something else right it's there there's a separate there's a category problem here and that is the that is the the main driver that they try to frame with the words crypto and cryptocurrency and even the bitcoin dominance index which is false bitcoin is 100% dominance it is unique but they frame this as a competition they frame this as a battle between Equals to to uh, pull off this affinity fraud with Bitcoin. So that's my problem with calling things cryptocurrency and why I try to point it out all the time. All right. Quote, they came back to us and they said, we believe every asset other than Bitcoin is a security. Every other asset. Uh, Obviously, they meant asset on their platform. Okay. We believe that every other asset on your platform other than Bitcoin is a security. And that's what Brian Armstrong said that the SEC said. That sounds like clarity. That sounds like dead cold, cold hard facts clarity. We believe all these other things are securities. I told you guys they were given clarity. It's super clear. And every time Gensler talked about it, he's like, it's super clear. Just ask yourselves these questions. Of course, he can't comment about ongoing things, ongoing court cases or ongoing uh investigations or whatever. Okay, we get that. But he made it very clear, and he made it very clear to Brian Armstrong. When Coinbase pushed back and asked the SEC to shed light on how they arrived at that conclusion, the regulator reportedly responded by saying, We're not going to explain it to you. Again, I mean, it's how we is clear the sec is clear it is clear to many people since 2012 or 2013 when all these altcoins started showing up that these things were securities they fit within the howey test lawyers wrote about it at the time everybody knew it it's there is no more need for clarity you know it's like a little kid why because i said so why Because it's like this. Why? It's like that. No, we, what? why? Like, that's what Coinbase is doing here. And they're trying to play it off and gaslight us into thinking we're crazy for thinking that it's clear. And they keep asking why. It's insane. We really didn't have a choice at that point. Delisting every asset other than Bitcoin, which, by the way, is not what the law says. Of course, it does. Would have essentially meant the end of the crypto industry in the U.S. Armstrong said, "Okay, that's fine. Not the end of Bitcoin. Crypto is a hotbed of scams. I mean, th- this is this is why I say, on let's get back to the newsletter here because, um, I say don't let people say this is cheerleading the government uh, government action. If you had the ability to stop fraud on a massive scale, wouldn't you?" Like as a person, if you could personally stop a twenty billion, not even a five hundred billion dollar scam that was scamming people, pure fraud, wouldn't you stop that? Wouldn't you stop that from happening? If you could stop a future scam of five hundred billion scamming people, you know, defrauding them of five hundred billion, wouldn't you stop that? So we're not cheerleading the SEC, we're cheerleading rationality. But most of the listeners here, I'm preaching to the choir. The SEC is completely rational on this demand. All coins are, without exception, scams. And I wrote about it here. And again, that's the affinity fraud uh, post that you guys can find on the website. Okay, macro, macro headlines. The coming multipolar world. I just highlight um, this other blog post. That will be public soon, but if you want to read it now, you can become a supporter on BitcoinMarkets.com. All right, Kyle Bass presentation on China preparing for war. So I say I recommend viewing. Uh, this is recommended viewing. The decline of China will be bigger macro news over the next couple deck, sorry, over the next couple years than the decline of Japan in 1990. So Japan, they just went flat for 30 years. They they did have like their stock market went down and stuff like that but their economy was stable it, there was no growth really but it was stable for 30 years that's not going to happen in china china is going down so anyway i linked to this tweet as well as linking to the youtube here i recommend you guys go watch that if you haven't they, he just talks about um china is doing everything telegraphing everything as they are going to war, they're trying to uh, build up and maybe go to war. Now I've also listened to a few other things like China unscripted is a great podcast. You guys can find out there. And uh, they recently had a guest saying like the U S is not going to intervene. Okay. The U S is not going to risk nuclear war to save Taiwan. Now, if it's Japan, that's a different story, but Taiwan, we're not even allies with Taiwan, you know, We're not going to risk nuclear war for that, but we are going to push everything just shy of backing them militarily, right? So that's also a great podcast to listen to, China Unscripted, but that's the news on China. Okay, Transitory was right all along. And I just use this image here from Jeff Schneider, who I've interviewed for FedWatch before. But uh, I say, I've been in the transitory camp from the beginning. I've also identified this period in tweets. So the period he has here is uh, 1946 through 1949. And I've talked about this. I think I uh, responded to Lynn Alden on on Twitter, and maybe George Gammon, saying that this was the best comparison because of the supply chain disruptions. That these prices, you know... 1945, end of the war, people are coming home, but the supply chains are all effed up because everything was blown up. So they come back and they try to switch from rationing, you know, during World War II to outright consumer spending, but they can't because supply chains are all messed up. And so this is a direct comparison to what we saw with COVID and post-COVID with this CPI big CPI burst. But what I say also is notice um, that this is sticky. So it goes up a lot faster than it comes down. And the main reasons for that are because uh, things like wages, wages are much easier to increase during rising CPI than decrease during falling CPI. So wages are sticky, uh, expectations can be sticky, as well as inventory. So I bought my inventory uh, at a certain price, and I don't want to lower the price on my inventory. So I'm going to keep my prices at break-even, hopefully, um, until I sell out of that inventory. Then I can lower prices later. So th- this that's why price rises are stickier than price uh, than the beginning, where prices are going up. But this is a great representation of that as well. Um, I say the difference this time is Fed policy. During the late 40s, the Fed kept Fed funds at near zero. I believe back then they were on the eighth of a per, uh, They didn't have basis points. They had eighths. So I think it was they, they pegged the Fed funds. There's yield curve control, quote unquote, yield curve control at three eighths of a percent. I believe that's what it was. Three eighths of a percent during this time and now of course we're up at 525 basis points um but does that matter i don't think so the fed raising rates was a confidence issue not a mechanical one powell never stopped believing that it was transitory as his recent comments show where he said his base case quote has always been we avoid recession so he his base case has maintained his just his messaging has changed what he's had to do to maintain confidence in the fed that has changed, but not his transitory understanding. Okay. Um, And then the sticky stuff. I also wanted to bring this into the discussion. This was just by Jeff Schneider today, I believe, or yesterday, July 30th. And, Here he has all of these different periods of CPI, you know, spikes, spikes in CPI. The orange line is the most famous. And what we are told is going on today and why people think there's going to be a reacceleration. All right. But it was very unique. Very, very unique. Relatively flat. It didn't get nearly as high as these other periods until later. It was a slow cooker. Inflation kept rising, but slowly over a long period of time, like about four years. Now, the one that we just looked at was this dashed line, June of 1946 uh, through about 1950. And actually, guys on Telegram, you can't see the screen, but I did post this chart in the chat earlier on. So you can take a look at that. Um, But okay, so CPI, that was what we were looking at. And you can see it went negative. Year over year, this isn't even just month over month, this is year over year, went negative, by it looked to be about two or 3%. That means the monthly was going, there was a lot of actual declines in prices during that time. Now this next one is 1950 through 54, the next kind of spike in inflation and or CPI. And you can see that it didn't get quite as high as four years earlier. But it followed the same general path. This light gray line never ended up going negative, but uh, got very low back down to zero to 1%. Now we, the current one that we are in is this dark, you know, big black line kind of in between 46 and 50, which makes sense. It, it matches this era much better than it matches the great inflation because the 1970s were actually inflationary. There was actually money printing going on. Lots of it globally. Very, very different time. And you see, like, it's a slow cooker. It's, it starts slow and it speeds up because it's actual money printing. This, These were very fast. Quick rises to 10%. And then back down. I think we're going to go negative. Um, maybe not year over year, but we'll definitely have negative month over month coming up. Probably by the end of the year, maybe going into early part of next year. Uh, if we get a hard landing recession, which does not look as likely likely right now, at least through 2024, maybe into 2025, we'll see. But uh, if we get that, then we're going to see major negative numbers on this uh, CPI. But for now, I think over the next few months, maybe next six months, we're going to see it continue down towards zero. We'll be under 2% easily by the end of, well, let's see. Next month, it's going to be pretty flat because we're getting rid of a 0% July 2022 reading, um, which even if we're at 0% in July of 2023, uh, you know, it'll be flat. Even if we're at a 0.1, which annualized is 1.2% inflation. If we are at a 0.1, uh the year over year number is actually going to tick up but very ever so slightly so we could see a slight uptick next month you know in July's CPI especially cuz gasoline has been going up oil prices have been going up we might even see uh bigger than just a one or two uh you know tenths of a percent higher we could see half a percent higher but that's going to rapidly go the other way so next month, guys, in a week or two, when we get the CPI come out for July, there's going to be all the, oh, we're reaccelerating, Inflation is reaccelerating. Oh my God, the, the higher for longer and blah, 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 blah. And then in August is going to crash, continue crashing. I know these people. I know these people. This is exactly what they're going to do. Okay. Another one that I wanted to share with you that I did talk about on FedWatch and in the server or in a Telegram group is the PCE that just came out last week. You see it's crashing as well, year over year. Headline PCE is at 3%, right there with CPI, month over month, 0.2%. So this is from Joe Consorti. You can obviously see the downward trend and this downward trend should also continue. Okay, so that's with those, let's get back to the report. Eurozone is a disaster. Next headline here. This is partly due to Brexit, uh, but wow! So let's take a look at this this chart. You see, in two thousand and eight, Eurozone GDP was well, around fourteen billion, or sorry, fourteen trillion. U.S. was around fourteen and a half trillion, so just slightly larger than the Eurozone back in two thousand and eight. But now, look at it. <laughs> 15 years later, eurozone GDP is 15 trillion and US GDP is up here at 26-27 trillion. I mean, they haven't really budged. And like I said, this is partly due to Brexit, but that's not going to explain all of this difference. It might explain uh a quarter of this difference that has grown out of the last 15 years. But come on, guys, the Eurozone is dying. Let's see what I write about this. Uh, My thesis of China and Europe taking the brunt of this economic hurricane has been spot on. So I just wanted to point that out. ESG is dying its inevitable death. Next headline. So this is a syndication from Lance Roberts, and he writes, investment managers, oh, sorry, this is a quote in this article that I linked to in the bullet point. Uh, The Great Wall Street Heist. Maybe that's a book. I I don't know what this uh, Great Wall Street heist, Heist is, but this is the quotation he has in this article. Investment managers and banks are taking advantage of our collective willingness to fight climate change because the ESG space is, to put it mildly, a zoo. Epic greenwashing is everywhere. Out of 253 funds that switched to an ESG focus in 2020, In the U.S., 87% of them rebranded by adding words such as sustainable or ESG or green or climate to their names. This is exactly like the blockchain thing, guys. Remember, these companies would just add blockchain to their name back in like 2016, 17, and their stock price would moon. It's the exact same thing that's going on with ESG. None of this is real. Okay, it's just these people giving it lip service because got ESG is like institutionalizing inefficiency. You think they're really doing that, or do you think they're just paying it lip service? Okay, none changed their stock or bond holdings at that point, so they just changed their name, not their business. Very very interesting. It's it's a good article. I recommend you guys go read it. I think this ESG is going to die, just like I think the globalists are dying off, uh, or going out of power, at least for the time being. They are they're losing, and I think this ESG thing is also going to go away quite rapidly. You know, Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock, we can't really I guess trust him, but he's he has said that he regrets ESG. And he just wants to concentrate on business and good business. Uh, Whether that's ESG or not, it's silly, right? So that is what Larry Fink is saying. And I think that's a very broad view of most businesses out there. Okay, let's continue to the next story. Pentagon sends thousands of Marines to deter Iran tanker seizures in the Persian Gulf. This is a Zero Hedge article, and it is talking about how um, the West like, sees some Iranian tanker, then Iran sees the tanker, then the, the West sees another tanker, and Iran sees another tanker, you know, tit for tat. And then there was a uh, one of those Iranian tankers was sitting off of Houston, I believe. Um, let me see. The, the Iranian tanker seized by the U.S. is still anchored off Houston, I think. Companies have refused to offload it in fear of retaliation by Iranians in the Persian Gulf. So they don't want to unload this. Some company X doesn't want to unload it. And because then their tankers, when they go into the Persian Gulf, will be singled out by Iranian pirates or Iranian state actors, privateers. And I've used this example to show over and over again now in the last few months that piracy is back on the rise. This is going to be state right now. It's state sponsored piracy, but as international uh, rules and regulations and sea lanes break down and and international arbitration breaks down, you're going to see a lot of actual pirates. These are going to be people out there to make a buck. And it's not super hard to, to take over some of these large container ships. I mean, I guess you have to catch it. But if you have, you know, a force of a dozen armed dudes, you can storm a big container ship and take it over. You know, this is going to happen in the next decade. A lot. And this is just one sign. But also the Pentagon sending thousands of Marines to deter this. I say uh, the U.S. is the only country in the world capable of this expeditionary military move, and it won't continue. The U.S. is slowly stopping this. We're getting out of this. We have fewer troops abroad than any time since like 1950 or something. Uh, This is due to pressure against the international rules-based order on both sides. So not only is Iran sanctioned and kind of on the fringes of the rules-based order, the U.S., which is the basis of the rules-based order, is doing this as well. How long does it take a system to collapse when the main person is not following the rules. Not very long. Okay, um, next one is this room temperature and ambient pressure superconductor. We talked about this on Friday. This is a huge uh, leap forward. If this is if this is the case, I haven't seen anybody being able to replicate it yet, but I'm sure this will come out in the next weeks because it's a very simple process and it should be able to be reproduced very very quickly. Um, but yeah, if this is the case, it's a major game changer. So we'll have to be watching that. Also, it has implications for Bitcoin mining, um, which we can talk through at another time. Okay, let's get into price. So that was all the headlines. Like I said, we have headline section, price section, mining section, and lightning. The other sections here will go faster because the headlines, you know, I was trying to catch up on some of the biggest stories of the last two to three weeks and uh, summarize them there. Uh, most of my other newsletters will have fewer fewer headlines, but more, more discussion on them. So anyway, let's take a look at price. So this was an interesting tweet from techdev underscore 52. And he shows how Bitcoin bull markets line up very nicely, perhaps more so than the halvings to global liquidity cycles. I think this is an interesting analysis because it ties into some of the inflation versus deflation ideas as well. So let's take a look at this. You can see, as the price is mooning, the, this, his liquidity measure, which takes into account China, Chinese 10 year DXY and high yield spreads, as that is over the 20, month moving average that's kind of in an expansionary territory when it drops below that's in the bear market territory when it pops it back above it's in a bull market territory etc and it's very quite. it's very accurate actually and i'm surprised i don't know if he's running any other statistical things on this you know to make it fit better but it does look like it is fitting pretty well, even better than the having cycles, you know, compared to, uh, the big bull market phases. However, I say on this overall, it does not nicely explain bottoms or why there are high, higher lows and higher highs. So this is a very interesting chart, but it doesn't get into why we see higher lows and higher highs. Um, And it doesn't explain the lows either. Like you can look back here, the 2020, the COVID was big time the bottom, but it was not the bottom for price. The bottom for price came back in 2018. So um, you can see it doesn't match perfectly. Also in 2015, the global liquidity continued to fall, but Bitcoin did not. Bitcoin actually went around the other way. So. It doesn't, it doesn't nicely explain everything, but I thought it was interesting to put in here for price. And it is showing that one more time, we are crossing back above this 20 month moving average in this liquidity measure. So that should mean that we are going, uh, starting the bull market for Bitcoin. Okay. Minor selling has ground to a halt. If you guys have read my newsletter in in past issues just recently, Of course, I took the last two weeks off, but before that, I was talking about this miner flow, the the volume of Bitcoins going from miners to exchanges to being sold. And you can see this big, massive spike here, big, massive spike, end of June into July. And that has now ended. Let's bring this up. It's all the way back down pretty much to normal. And. So this is very bullish, actually. I, I have I said that they would eventually run out of coins, and maybe whoever this was, whether if it was F two pool or you know some pool or some larger miner or something, it wasn't the public miners, but it could have be it could be some larger private miners. They ran out of coins to send to exchanges. They sold all their coins, and now they were done. And so this this has reversed, um, extremely bullish for price and they, whoever this was, most likely will buy those coins back or at least uh, rebuild their uh, their stockpile of Bitcoin, you know, their balance, their Bitcoin balance, because um, if they can go into the negative, so they were in the positive for so long, sending so many Bitcoins to exchanges, now they need to rebuild those balances. So that means not just that, Selling goes to zero, but selling actually goes negative because they are, uh, hoarding those new Bitcoins that they're mining. So anyway, I'm watching that and I will report if anything else changes. Okay. Grayscale discount. This is GBTC discount, uh, peaked out at, or sorry, not, not, it didn't peak out. It hit a low at 25%, which is way off of the, yearly lows or even the, the the ultimate low looks like back in December of last year i believe it got down to 40% discount back all the way up to 25% and this could really move rapidly i mean we could see two or three weeks and it's to zero so i'm keeping an eye on this that would be a major sign that there is major demand building for bitcoin and it would also signal that maybe grayscale is likely getting more and more likely to win their case against the SEC and be turned into an ETF. So I'll be watching that. Okay, daily charts. These are my charts. Um, I say it's not looking very bullish, at least on the daily chart. The past two weeks have been seriously boring for price. The downside is very limited, meaning we are not in danger of a a massive sell-off, but there is no fuel in this rally right now. So let's take a look at this chart you see we crossed the 50-day moving average kind of sideways, which is interesting. We fell, tapped it, bounced above it a little bit, and just kind of moved sideways through the 50-day moving average, which is not very common. If you see back here in April, bouncing off the 50-day moving average, and then finally slicing through it and staying below it for a period of time, right? The reason for this is because, and I'll I mention this as much as I can, that Trading like this is a series of shelling points. These are things that grab your attention and get will get more attention than normal places on the chart. If you just looked at a naked chart, yeah, you could still find some zones that would have more attention because of horizontal resistance or even diagonal trend lines, stuff like that. So there are places on the chart even without any indicators or whatever that would attract more attention. And so you're going to have more bids and more volume exchanged at that level. I hope that makes sense. So that's why the 50 day moving average, which is a very uh, highly watched moving average, the, the most highly watched moving average, probably. And it supported the price here until it couldn't and then was resistance for the price until it wasn't. And here it's interesting, they just slowly went through it. So we're going to have to watch that over the next few days. Now I say failing to hold the 50 day moving average is a bad sign near term. Um, Okay, several volatility indicators like Bollinger Bands and Bollinger Bands aren't necessarily volatility, but the width of the Bollinger Bands is a volatility measure, okay? Are signaling a big move is coming soon. Weekly B bands are at their tightest in Bitcoin history. And I saw Simply Bitcoin, uh, their Twitter account pointed this out, but I pointed this out in my Market Pro this weekend. And let's take a look at this. So this is a down below here, the black line is a measure of the width between the Bollinger bands. And uh, you can see it is at its tightest ever on the weekly. Every other period that has been this tight or tight like this, except back here in 2018, right before that dropped. But that was a weird time because, man, it it tried its damnedest to hold. I think it was six thousand. I think it was six thousand this time. It was holding that. There was some sort of uh, bull whale out there trying to hold six k. And it just got very, very tight. So other than that part of the chart, every other time, this has been highly bullish. Volatility will break to the upside. And also, uh, I didn't put an arrow right here for the current squeeze. But if you look at these two, so the one in about, when was that? November of 2022 and now separated by about six months, maybe nine months. And then uh, looks a lot like this one from back in 2016. That was also separated by about six to nine months, these very tight squeezes. And look what happened. We went on a 30X run, right? So I'm not saying we're going to get a 30X run, but I'm saying the last time that we had this tight of B bands on the weekly, not this tight even, we're tighter now, but the last time we had two very tight periods back to back was in 2016, just like we've had now. So that kind of puts into perspective the different cycles. A lot of people expect each cycle to be less and less. You know, we had a hundred X cycle, then a 30 X cycle, then an eight X cycle. And maybe this one will be a six X cycle or something like that. I don't believe that. I think we're going to have a repricing event that does not allow people to get in. And it's not going to take a hundred years to get to a million dollar Bitcoin. Okay. Or even 50. It's going to happen relatively quickly. I mean, you're going to have to hold on through a bunch of dips, but you're going to, you know, be able to ride a roller coaster up a hundred down 50 up a hundred down 50 with people like actively trying to shake you out of their out of your position. So, um, yeah th- this could be a big one just like in 2017 very very interesting and this was the chart that appeared on my market pro so this is the type of charting that you can expect on the market pro where i dig down deep and i find this stuff and then other people repost my stuff but anyways okay uh here is a weekly chart again and this triangle looks very nice we could bounce right off of this around twenty-eight thousand before testing back up to 31,000, and hopefully getting a breakout. Um, Of course, this is a little bit subjective, but the way I'm seeing this red resistance right here with this horizontal support coming up, that does look like a nice little triangle formation. And those are generally bullish to the upside. So that is the price for Bitcoin. Headlines, the mining headlines. We're almost done here. We got mining, which is kind of shorter. And then lightning, layer two, which is kind of shorter. Okay. Headlines. The tide tide has rapidly turned in favor of Bitcoin mining in the media. And I've seen a ton of this over the last couple weeks. Bitcoin is just becoming um, popular. Or the mining narrative is totally switching. So this is from Documenting Bitcoin. New research from MIT shows Bitcoin mining helps the climate, lowers emissions, and balances the electrical grid. And this is coming from the MIT Center for Energy and Environmental Policy Research. MIT, people. MIT is rated as the best university in the world in most rankings that I see out there. Uh, So this is the Center for Energy and Environmental Policy Research from the leading university in the world. And it is saying that Bitcoin mining helps the climate. How bullish is that? How positive is that? Just, I get wowed when I see how positive all of this stuff has been for Bitcoin. Okay, next headline, um, amid sanctions, Bitcoin mining machines are flowing into Russia as energy or as industry thrives. So this was a good article. Let me see, I'm gonna bring it up in a new tab, share it. It's the archive version because it's CoinDesk. Don't share CoinDesk links because they're crypto bros but uh okay so it says that bitcoin mining industry in russia is booming and hardware manufacturers bitmain and micro bt are positioning themselves to reap the benefits more machines are flowing into russia than anywhere else in the world ethan vera chief operating officer of global mining services uh, firm luxor technologies said at a festival held in austin texas russia has always been a powerhouse in terms of bitcoin hash rate not always I mean, it's always been more than, like, say, 2%, but it hasn't been a powerhouse. I mean, we're talking about the U.S., which is 30%, and Russia, which is like 5%. Okay, so that that shows you the powerhouse of their meaning here. The measure of computational power being contributed to the blockchain, the blockchain. Thanks to the availability of cheap energy and its cold climate, Russia's share of global mining gained after China's ban in 2021, making it the second or third largest in the world. All right. All this stands out as Russia's economy has suffered amid the international sanctions imposed following Russia's 2022 invasion of Ukraine and continued attack on the country. I mean, this is biased, right? The West forced this attack. None of the sanctions, quote, sorry, none of the, quote, sanctions targeting Russia completely prohibit Involvement in the mining sector," said David Carlisle, vice president of policy and regulations at Elliptic, a blockchain analytics firm. Still, there are significant risks for firms operating in Russian mining sector. Russian mining sector, they cannot do business with sanctioned entities, including mining hosting firm Bit River, or make payments to state banks and companies," Carlisle added. But this is Bitcoin, right? So. You can mine it and you can send it across the world censorship resistantly uh, to anywhere you want in 10 minutes. Carlisle is a former staffer at the U.S. Department of the Treasury, including the Office of Foreign Asset Control, or OFAC, which develops financial and economic sanctions. Moreover, foreign firms setting up in Russia, given the current geopolitical backdrop, might be facing reputational risks. In recent months, Improved mining economics, thanks to this year's rising price of Bitcoin and the Ordinals project that drove up the activity on the Bitcoin network. Bitcoin blockchain. I mean, these people are blockchain pumpers. They're crypto pumpers. They have to use this word blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain. What does that mean? Okay, that makes you think that other blockchains are like Bitcoin or like I said before, that Other things with a library are universities. Other things with bathrooms are universities because a university has a bathroom. Bitcoin has a blockchain, but not that isn't what makes it Bitcoin. Okay. Just like a bathroom doesn't make a university university. So, but they have to do this. They have to call it the Bitcoin blockchain. It's just crazy. We have to push back on this idea. This year, I think I said at the end of 2022, or maybe it was the beginning of 2022, that this is the time we need to really push. Well, no, it must have been with the FTX collapse, that this was a real time to drive that wedge between Bitcoin and crypto. And we have to continue. We made great progress. Great progress to the point where the SEC is saying everything but Bitcoin is a security where we have uh, RFK Jr. talking about Bitcoin, not crypto. So we made a lot of progress, but we need to point out this type of rhetoric. The Bitcoin blockchain. Bitcoin is not a blockchain. Bitcoin has a blockchain or a time chain. We could call it a block space chain, but it's not blockchain technology. Okay, blockchain is, or I would say, a blockchain is simply the result of consensus rules. You know, if you are implementing consensus rules, it is the result of consensus rules. It is not anything special. It's a remnant. That's it. I can download the blockchain and change uh, the. I can download the Bitcoin block space chain and change anything I want. Did you guys know that? You can download the blockchain and change anything you want. Nothing about the data structure makes it unchangeable, get it? The only thing that makes it unchangeable is the rest of the network. The only thing that gives it any sort of properties whatsoever is the rest of the network, is the proof of work, is the consensus, distributed consensus. So I don't know. I'm making a point of this rhetoric, but I think I still think that's very important. They've created good conditions for mining in Russia. Explain this guy. OK, on top of that, increasing regulatory scrutiny and taxation in the U.S. I mean, there is regulatory scrutiny, but there hasn't been any increase in taxation. There's actually been a lot of proposed decreases of taxes like Bitcoin mining would not have to pay income when you mine the Bitcoin, only when you. uh Transfer the Bitcoin, you know, so that's a positive taxation. That's not like negative in taxation. Also, RFK Jr. is talking about exempting Bitcoin from not crypto Bitcoin from income tax. So, yeah, there's a lot of this stuff and regulatory changes. In- OK, that's all for that. And I guys, I'm hearing actually my. My wife and kids, they went out of town, and they're coming back and they just got home. So, stand by one second while I let them in. All right. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, All right. Sorry, guys. I had to let them in. I had them locked out. But, yeah, let's just finish this up. So, we have the rest of the mining section and then the lightning section. So, let's take a look at hash rate. Um, Hash rate, or sorry, this is difficulty. Difficulty did drop, but it's still at its second highest reading ever. And we are scheduled for a flat difficulty adjustment uh, in eight days' time. So it's very stable. This is the hash rate. And you can see the hash rate has spiked in the last couple of days. I would say 18 hours or so. Not all-time high, but very, very close. So, again, Bitcoin mining is stable. And I wouldn't say surging, but definitely stable. All right, mempool. Mempool. You can see in the last couple months here, the mempool has been steadily decreasing, but we've been around 100 megabytes for the last, for pretty much all of July, uh, but it looks very stable and very um, like all of these blue, or sorry, all of these color ribbons, one second. All right, so you see all these color sections. Let me get back to this. Um. They're equally distributed. It's just looking very uh, under control. And I'll use the word over and over again, stable. The mining mining sector is very, very stable. Okay, let's get on to the Lightning Network. And I also included layer two in this section now because I want to start talking more and more about liquid. But there's not a lot of news out there about liquid. I might have to start reaching out to people Um, developers and uh, people that work like for Blockstream and maybe ask them what are their developments they're seeing, Um, follow their blog post more because I think that is a very important layer two that doesn't get talked about enough. But anyway, so Binance completes Lightning Network integration and this is a link to Bitcoin Magazine article. With the Lightning Network integration, Binance users can now take advantage of the Lightning Network's off-chain payments channels to send and receive Bitcoin transactions with reduced fees and faster settlement times. This development comes just as Lightning is being integrated into other exchange platforms, essentially becoming an expectation for quick and easy Bitcoin transactions. So Bitcoin was added to Binance, Bitcoin was added to another exchange just in the last week, yet the capacity drops by over, a you know, close to a thousand Bitcoins. Over 10% capacity dropped when Binance added it. It sounds, something's wrong here. Something's missing. Um, Lightning, like I say, is important technology, but I don't think it's the answer right now. Uh, And that is not, I mean, that's a very unpopular opinion in the Bitcoin space. All right. Last thing up is Bitcoin reserves tweets, major differences between Liquid and Lightning, or sorry, Liquid and Ethereum. And I was on Bitcoin reserves podcast probably last year around this time, something like that, the good group of dudes. And they're doing good work, you know, full reserve Bitcoin stuff. And they tweeted this out because they are working with liquid. And I think it's a very, very important thing. Maybe I'll have to interview them as well, bring them onto FedWatch or something and interview them about liquid. But okay. This is what they say. Liquid is honest about how some degree of trust is required. Ethereum, the Ethereum foundation, claims to be trustless. However, in reality this is not the case at all. Of course, liquid is uh, federated. They don't claim to be de- decentralized. Uh, they claim to have a trade-off between from decentralization to f- being federated, which is not all the way to being centralized. It's honestly federated and but it does have you know a, a different attack surface, or vulnerability surface for certain attacks because they're federated versus being decentralized. Um, but they don't lie about that, but they, they're honest about the trade-off. So you trade off a little bit of decentralization for all of this other stuff. One minute block times, confidential transactions, tokens, everything, everything you want. I think this is a perfect fit for jurisdictional side chains. So the U.S. could have a side chain, Europe could have a sidechain, whatever, China, Japan, and they could all use Bitcoin pegs. So everything could be pegged to Bitcoin, but you're under this other jurisdiction. I think that's a very interesting angle that needs to be talked about more. Liquid is far cheaper to use than Ethereum. and Ethereum transaction can cost hundreds of dollars, and Liquid transactions will cost about $0.10. Cents. So there are fees, but being federated means you can have faster blocks, faster transactions, Um, because all of this stuff is trivial. Okay. Transactions are trivial. They can be made for virtually free. Okay. But what isn't trivial is decentralization. So to incentivize decentralization to pay for it, because decentralization is inefficient. Okay. To pay for it, you have to have fees, higher fees. But liquid being federated, that's one of their trade-offs. You trade off some decentralization for cheap and faster transactions. Liquid Bitcoin's price is attached to Bitcoin's price. There is no conflict of interest with Liquid like there is with Ethereum, where there's a shitcoin at the base layer with its own free-floating price. Yeah, so uh, Liquid Bitcoin is pegged to Bitcoin one-to-one. It doesn't have to be for all sidechains. You could have, you know, you could say there's... um 10, I don't know what you say, $10 per sat on the US dollar side chain, something like this. But you you could have it pegged at different things um, and you could update those rules if you wanted to, if you wanted to debase your currency, you could do that. So that is, um, it's not a whole new monetary unit. See, that's the thing about the altcoins. They launched a new monetary unit because they wanted to print money. Liquid doesn't have that problem. I mean, you can do tokens on Liquid as well, but the base unit, the native currency is pegged Bitcoin. Okay, Liquid is far more private. Ethereum does not have confidential transactions like Liquid does. The amount of funds being transferred are not visible using the Liquid network. Just in the value proposition of stable coins alone, Liquid USDT or Tether, Liquid Tether, is objectively the best option available. Much cheaper than the ERC-20, USDT, and way more private. Okay, so that is the updates on Lightning and Liquid. Like you guys probably heard, my family just got home after being away for the weekend (laughs) right during my live stream. So anyway, that's where I'm going to call it quits for today. Uh, Thank you guys for joining me. Check out bitcoinandmarkets.com for all the stuff I do. Uh, Make sure you're subscribed over there on YouTube, Rumble, uh, Twitter, follow me on Twitter, and the telegram is t.me forward slash Bitcoin and markets. No questions for today. Hope that means I did a good job explaining everything, but that's going to do it, guys. Thanks for joining me, and I'll check you on the next one. Bye.